The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Welcome, everybody, to part two of our three-part mini-series with Taylor Frankel, the co-founder of Nude Sticks. Um, This topic is near and dear to my heart. I lived half of my life in the U.S., half of my life in Canada, and... There are a ton of pros and cons to both. And I just think as a founder, it's so interesting to launch a brand that has most of your audience in the US, but being a Canadian founder and being headquartered here, that has to have implications, either good or bad for the business. And so this episode is all about Taylor's perspective on that, what it means to be traveling all over the place, what she actually does when she lands in all of these different countries and locations to launch in new markets. Um, And I think it's really interesting hearing her Canadian perspective too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because as as much as, you know, it's great to support Canadian brands and there is a market in Canada, it is just so small compared to the global market, even just the US market. And so, you know, for Canadian entrepreneurs, I think there's maybe some businesses that could thrive in a Canada only market. But I think for the most part, if you want to go big, you have to think global. And so this episode really helps give some tactical advice of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think we should just get into it. Let's do it. We are back with Taylor once again from Nude Sticks. In our last episode, you heard a little bit more just getting to know Taylor and the story of building Nude Sticks. In this segment, we're going to dive into a little bit about building a global business, especially as a Canadian entrepreneur. So Taylor, similar to last episode, could you talk a little bit about the journey of scaling Nude Sticks? If I'm not mistaken, I read that you actually initially launched in the UK. Yes. So way back when we had this whole idea or this, I guess, plan to launch the UK first, my mom coming from her previous company had suggested this because she felt that a lot of Canadians follow or absorb trends once they're popular in other markets first. So if there's a popular brand in the UK or in the US, Canadians will then take on those trends and Usually we're a little bit later to the game. Now I feel like not so much only because of social media and trends are not what they used to be. You know, eight years ago or 10 years ago, you used to get trends from runway and you would watch all the shows and you would see the shows um, in real life or maybe even in editorial. And then six months later, you would see them come to life, whether that's through product or whether that's in magazines. But today it's very different where trends circulate so quickly and come to life so quickly and Hence the whole fast fashion and even like with beauty, it's very easy to kind of implement. But that was our focus or that was our strategy. Um, We worked with this retailer called Space & K. They're a small apothecary based in the UK. They also have US locations. And our whole strategy with them was we were going to give them a three-month exclusivity deal. So we would launch with them three months exclusively. And in return, they would give us unlimited press and media opportunities. So They would work with us in London and in New York, and they would get us to meet with top 
media. So you're editors of Vogue and Allure and W Magazine. And that was like the trade-off. And then after the three-month exclusivity was over, we had all of these impressions from the media that we had worked with them on. And then we would have other retailers approach us after that because of the engagement and the impressions. So it ended up working out, but that was our, yeah, the strategy to launch. And then from there, once you launch Sephora US, you have, so Sephora is actually, their head office is in France. So Mm, um, Sephora France manages Sephora globally, kind of oversees the global strategy and plan. But then you have Sephora per market. So then you have Sephora Canada, you have Sephora US, you have Sephora Mexico, Sephora Southeast Asia. So within each Sephora market, it kind of they kind of act differently where Sephora US will reach out to you. But that doesn't mean that Sephora Mexico will take you, right? right. It may be a little bit easier, but Sephora Mexico has to approach you or you approach Sephora Mexico for them to launch your market. So each region acts independently. So then over the first two years of launch, that was kind of like once we launched Sephora US, it was like, okay, then we had the ability to reach out and had eyes on us from, you know, a global perspective. But how many, how many markets or countries are you in now? We're in maybe 40, 40. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) That's incredible. Honestly, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but at 40, wasn't it? Did you notice that there was like a tipping point when all the other markets started to come a lot easier or is it kind of the same process for all 40? Yeah. And that's, what's crazy about launching globally. And like, would we do it again? I don't know if we were to launch a brand today, because the process, well, firstly, I mean, we can talk about registration, but I won't get too much into registration, but like every single region and market, let's say it's, let's say it's India or Australia or Mexico or Canada all have different registration requirements. Meaning like in Australia, you may not be able to launch certain products because they might not allow certain ingredients you know, uh, in their I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. Or just the whole registration process. Let's say it's launching SPF or let's say it's launching skincare. That might take a lot longer and you have to fill in all these different registration forms for each market. I don't do it personally. God bless our operations team and our director of operations. And so that's a whole process. But then also from a marketing perspective, most markets live on the same platforms that we live on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, but it's how do you communicate? Then you also have your local influencers. So just assume that U.S. influencers, maybe they have a 2% following from the Philippines, but it doesn't mean that that influencer is going to convert in the Philippines. So you need to find local, we call them KOLs, so key opinion leaders, who will influence your brand locally. So then we have to work with PR agencies based in those local markets to host events, to work with you on the right influencers, work with you on connecting to media. And so back in the day... I used to travel to Southeast Asia, Australia, Europe, Mexico, India, and I would be traveling for like 90% of the year just reaching all of these markets. And I would probably have to hit those markets twice a year. Okay, really, really stupid question. When you're traveling so much, what are you doing when you get there? So we, we would usually travel for two to three days per market. So typically travel there. I land. Typically we'll have a few meetings the day of. So there's not much time to like sleep. Maybe we'll sleep for two hours as soon as we get there if we have time. We'll head to our meetings. Then the next day, usually we'll have like in-store events. So we'll go into Sephora. We'll have consumer events, masterclasses, introduce the brand. And then the following day, we usually have our market week, which means that we go to the Sephora 
headquarters in the region to meet with their team to talk about, okay, what's our strategy? What's our plan for going into next year? So we hit everything in a very short period of time. So yeah, there's not much room for play. And it's like, it doesn't sound that way. Yeah. It's definitely necessary when you're first launching a brand, because especially with global, you need to have those personal relationships and you want them to feel, you know, connected to to you and your brand. Like that, like in almost no time at all. That's a tall order. Yeah. 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 Tough. No kidding. And it makes me wonder, like, for brands who have launched during COVID, how have they done that? Do you imagine it'll go back to the same way or will it always be changed now because of that? I do see a few brands that are now going back into market. A few skincare brands that I'm familiar with are going to, you know, your Dubai and those markets to re-present the brand or relaunch the brand and are doing events in real life. For me, I personally think virtual will be the new norm for an indefinite period of time, just because firstly, it's easier. (laughs) It's more cost effective because we're not spending thousands and thousands of dollars on travel. I can do a virtual event with Singapore, Malaysia, and Thailand in one day. And travel is amazing because you're actually there and you're present and you're engaging with people in real life. But I think that from just like an efficiency perspective, virtual is definitely preferred. And also just for me, my mental health (laughs) was slowly deteriorating. Before COVID hit, I was super burned out. So I always talk about COVID being a little bit of a blessing in disguise um, because I actually had the ability to focus on my mental and physical health for the first time in like five years, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that a lot of brands right now are launching D2C and I think that's the future. I think with paid ads and with your social reach. I think there's a lot of growth opportunity. And even to this day right now, like our US sales are very strong compared to our global market sales. So we're definitely focusing more on the US as of now. And also globally, like Southeast Asia, like Australia just got out of lockdown. Other markets are still slowly recovering. So they're not there yet, which is why I don't think they'll be there for a while. But it's a totally different, it's a totally different business model. Honestly, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You talked about the Canadian audience, at least at the time, being a couple steps behind other markets. Do you feel like being a Canadian entrepreneur helped you or do you feel like it kind of made things harder? The only reason why it may have made things harder, especially being based in Toronto, and maybe it would have been the same if I was based in New York or LA. Sure. But I do find that a lot of founders that are based in those markets and have surrounded themselves with influential people in those markets have a little bit of a foot in the door because they already, they're there. It's easy to be like, oh, hey, Mariana Hewitt, let's go for lunch or let's go for coffee or come to my event. It's, It's this week. It's easier to build relationships versus being in Toronto as much as you can build connections within the Toronto community, which is so important you know, kind of meeting with media in New York, like traditional media or, you know, large influencers in LA, it's definitely a little bit more difficult to do that. So it does create boundaries, but I also love being from Toronto and being Canadian because it gives you this ability to step back and observe everything from afar. Because I find Mm -hmm. that when you're in it, you can get sidetracked and your brand can be influenced in different directions because you're like, oh, what's working now? Think about an infinite mindset versus a finite mindset, right? You're like, oh, you're in LA. You're surrounded by all these brands, all these people who are pitching you different things, who are doing amazing things and who are just like, 
hustle, hustle, hustle. And you're like, oh my God, I need to do this right now. I need to do this. I need to compete with this brand versus in Toronto. You're like, you're in your own lane and you're focused on yourself and, and how that innovation will help your brand and your and you grow for the future and affect your community versus like, what is mm-hmm. everybody else doing? If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, pros and cons to to both, right? And I think it seems like Nude Sticks is absolutely thriving. So whatever you're, you've been doing has been working. Honestly, I have to say, I thought that being a Canadian entrepreneur would maybe present more hurdles than Taylor let on. I think her strategy of just like not letting that stop them and having such a retail first focus has really helped them get into new markets. All good learning. And honestly, Mm -hmm. it's not an easy decision to make. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to hear to Taylor's perspective on as we slowly emerge out of COVID and this new normal, which I'm sick of people saying new normal, so sorry. <laughs> but um, it's interesting to see her, hear her takes on that as well. So in the next episode with Taylor, it'll be our final part in the series. We're going to talk all about positioning and branding um, and how to not only get new customers, but also keep your customers yes. uh, because that is such a game changer in your profitability. Your customer acquisition costs are always going to be higher than keeping your customers. So um, Taylor knows a ton about it and they have some really cool strategies. So that's what we'll dig into in two days from now. So make sure to tune in to that. And last episode, we asked you to subscribe to our YouTube. If you haven't yet, you still can. There's We still have room for more subscribers. <laughs> um, so please go ahead and do that. Check out our YouTube content and we will see you very soon. We'll see you then.